Well, greetings in the Master's name. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 22. And here in Matthew 22, we have the account of the um, lawyer asking Jesus a question. Now, what was the question? Y'all know. What was the question? Okay, what is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus' answer uh, went beyond, or okay, how was Jesus' answer different than the question? I know my questions are kind of not very specific, but what do you think? How was Jesus' answer different than the question? He asked him, what was the greatest commandment? He gave him two answers, or he gave, he gave him two parts to the answer. And uh, so that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, he, asked, he got more than he asked for. Um, and um, a lawyer, well, that, now here it says, um, it says, um, yeah, which was a lawyer. And over in Mark, it says, okay, the other part is Mark 12. Um, Mark 12, 28 to 34. And there it said, uh, it was a scribe, equivalent lawyer scribe. He said, which is the first commandment? And here in Matthew, it's which is the great commandment. It's kind of interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they kind of have the same, um, a lot of the same accounts, not all. But you see, they're telling it, each one's telling it from his, 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 uh, remembrance his way of saying it it's kind of interesting like so the one says a scribe one says a lawyer one says a great commandment the other says first commandment and so on um, and so the um, the first commandment was of course love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength but the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself that's a little bit more of the emphasis this morning or the what goes along with the uh, the message but I just wanted to uh, start out that way and there was one other thing in in studying this that it I, I thought about there's another account that's similar and I thought uh, in my Bible I like this Bible I have it's an American Bible Society Bible you can't get it anymore at least you can get the scripture part but you can't get it with the big concordance in the back but anyway it has headings for each section and if if there's a parallel passage in another gospel uh, it'll, it'll tell you what that is. And for here, it just gave me Mark. And I thought, well, there's something in Luke 2, Luke also. And so I looked it up, and it's in Luke 10. And this is a little, this is interesting. Um, maybe this uh, just sort of a sideline to the, to the main message this morning. But uh, in Luke uh, 10, um, verse 25, the lawyer asked Jesus, a different question. He said, how may I inherit eternal life? And Jesus often answered a question with a question. And he said, uh, well, how do you read it? What, what, what do you see? And what did the lawyer say? That's very interesting to me. All these laws, and he knew them, all those details. And he gave him the same two that Jesus had, 
answered in Matthew and Mark. But what was even more interesting to me, I got to thinking about that and looking at it, and I thought, well, now, um, this happened before the other. And I don't have my Harmony of the Gospels, if I still have it and didn't give it away, but I don't have it in their department. But Thompson's Chain Reference Bible has a, has a little harmony of the gospel, a very succinct harmony of the gospel in the back, and it puts Luke 10 between John 8 and John 9. Well, Jesus' answer to the lawyer about when he asked which is the great commandment, that was the last week. That was Passion Week. And so this lawyer came up with this answer before Jesus had said that, which was kind of fascinating to me. And then, of course, so he gave the right answer, and Jesus said, hey, you got it. But he wasn't satisfied, you know, and he said, well, um, yeah, but how, how does that work? <laughs> and so Jesus gave him the parable of the Good Samaritan. So uh, uh, two weeks ago, um, well, it was the weekend, it was Thursday through Saturday, I went with... Um, Caleb Crider and his wife Lois and Lois Friesen up to Boston to ch check out Sattler College. Lois Friesen is thinking about going there and she wanted some others along to kind of give her some advice. Uh, but uh, Finney Curavilla, it's uh, something he's starting. Uh, but he said, he said, um, we are meeting centered. When the scripture, well, he didn't put it exactly in these words, but what the scripture, what Jesus' people should be relation-centered. In other words, we get together here on Sunday morning, we go our way. We might come back Sunday evening, might come back Wednesday evening, we go our way. And he wasn't necessarily saying we need to get together every day, but our focus should be on relationships rather than meetings. And they got all kinds of things going in Boston. This Matthew, this fellow I was telling you about, the gang member, Matthew Maloney, he, he's up there and like the, um, they're just admitting like about 25 students to start out the college. But they expect them to be, all be involved in some sort of outreach ministry. And this Matthew, somebody was asking a question about it. He said, we've got things to do for all of you all and plenty more. I mean, they have homeless ministry, they have uh, crisis pregnancy ministry, they have all kinds of stuff going on, reaching out relationships. And uh, he said that, that that's what the church should look like. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, the message this morning is, um, uh, I'm, I don't think I'm being lazy. Uh, I think this is important. But we started, on Wednesday, we started studying one anothering at the Pike. It's been a long time since I read that book, the book One Anothering by Simon Schrock. And just reading through that, there's just a lot of important uh, stuff there. And uh, so, well, for instance, on, in the, on the back, you know, they have the blurb on the back, and it says, we depend on each other and will continue to rely upon togetherness and the nurtured relationships of those we know and love in the future. This book can help enrich the quality of our experience with the others at home, at work, and at worship. And I told the congregation at Pike, with the ones that meet for Wednesday evening, it's kind of a small group, but that's not the greatest. But uh, I said if, this, if our study of this book would actually enrich the quality of our experience with others at home, at work, and at worship, that would be one of the better studies we've had. 
in the introduction, he says, Our world honors those who have been to the moon and back or had a ride through space, but who cares for the person who doesn't make it on the media blitz? Who cares for the person who is deeply depressed or in financial trouble or caught in a disaster or feeling of rejection and left out? Isn't there someone to care? And then um, in the foreword, we deplore international conflict and terrorism. We are saddened by violence that makes it unsafe to walk the streets of our large cities. The logjam of litigation in our legal system is a further commentary of serious deficiencies in human relationships. It speaks of a crying need for one anothering. Far too often, we who are Christian neglect to nurture our relationships with those we know best and love most as we should. We fail to nurture the relationships with those we know best and love most. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 13. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now go to... Um, Chapter 10, verse 25, a fairly familiar verse to us, I think. Hebrews 10, 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And now back to Romans 12. Romans 12, and here it's talking about the um, first part of the chapter. Early here, some of the verses talking about um, the grace given to us, talking about gifts. Um, we have many members in one body, so on. Uh, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, and so whether we have the gift of prophecy, do it, and so on. Verse 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, so that's a gift. Um, I guess some people have um, more of a calling or a gift uh, or whatever, empowered or by the Holy Spirit to do that than others, but we should all be doing it to a certain extent. Now, have you ever been exhorted? Have you ever been exhorted? And when you think about that, what does it look like? Well... I guess I knew it, but um, or maybe I didn't. But this is what he has to say about that. And I looked up the word to make sure he was on target. Exhorting means cheering the other one. Exhorting means cheering the other one, urging the other to move ahead, to press toward the mark. It means giving encouragement. The Bible calls believers to encourage one another. And then he has Hebrews 3.13 from the NIV. 
but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And uh, Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So, uh, well, then Romans 12, he also said, um, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. So, encouraging others, commending others. I think maybe we're a little bit well, yeah, we, we, um, well, I think we try to encourage each other. Uh, we, we maybe are a little slow to commend people because, you know, we don't want them to get puffed up. Isn't that kind of way it works? Uh, but we are supposed to be encouraging each other. He had a paragraph here I thought was pretty pertinent. Much of what is called counseling and correcting among believers is ineffective and hits dead soil. It may not be because the counselor uses the wrong words or gives the wrong answers, but simply that there has been no prior established relationship. There has been no prior affirmation of worth and appreciation for the other person. The counselor's never told him, I appreciate you in the way you use your gift for God. Therefore, the one being counseled has nothing to lose but turning a deaf ear. Well, then in this chapter, he gives, he gives six ways to encourage others. And uh, the first one is words. He says, check your words. And there again, I had to think about what it said it on the back cover. This book can enrich the quality of our experience. See, Joe said in Sunday school that we are the message to other people. And he said, uh, if I'm standing up here preaching and I preach something, but people don't see it in my life, well, then how effective is it? That's kind of a challenge. But then I've heard it said at a minister's meeting already, too, that you mustn't hold back from preaching just because you haven't arrived because we're all on a journey. So we're still supposed to preach the truth even though we might still be working at it. So there. I, I don't have to be perfect. Um, um, but anyway, it says, this book enriches the quality of our experience with others at home, at work, and at worship. See, here we are, we're, we're worship, you know, and we're all pretty nice here, you know. How are we at home? Check your words. Do they make for peace? But in general, uh, some of you might uh, be familiar with this little poem, Three Gates. If you are tempted to reveal a tale to you someone has told about another, make it pass before you speak three gates of gold. These narrow gates. First, is it true? Then, is it needful? In your mind, give truthful answer. And the next is last and narrowest, is it kind? And if to reach your lips at last it passes through these gateways three, then you may tell your tale, nor fear what the results of the speech may be. 
I think Anna Mary said about one of her brothers that she has never heard him say anything negative about anybody. Well, that's a, a pretty um, rare thing, I guess. That doesn't mean that that doesn't rule out uh, admonition. So, you know, we've got to keep it balanced, but still, the way we go about it. Well, six things he mentioned on how to encourage others. Watch your words. Hey, that's a big one. But firm handshake. Firm handshake. Now, those of us whose hands aren't as big as other people, sometimes it kind of gets lost when you go to do a handshake. But at least you try. Okay. Firm handshake. Uh, compassion. Open and understanding to hurts. Sincere sympathy that shows. Four was action. We encourage by action. Smile. Smile. And prayer. Okay, then. Uh, well, let's see. I do want to read his conclusion to that chapter. Think of the words you used during the past day. Try to think over the past week. You might be surprised how lacking your conversations are of exhorting words. Try for one week to use only words and comments that are encouraging to those who hear you. Do something different for this whole week. Encourage one another. Believers are the team for God. Urge them on. And that made me think about something that was on Slack. It's this internal messaging system at CLP. Uh, but um, this lady wrote in, a web customer, and she said, I already called you back, but I just wanted to say thank you for catching my error and calling me and emailing what great customer service. I truly appreciate you noticing and the honesty of calling and not charging me just because you could. So this lady had sent in an incorrect order. And, uh, well, I mean, there was something about it that looked funny. Uh, and so in the checkers, the people that pulled the order, they put them in a, they put them in a, a, a tray, and then it goes past the checker, and they, they check off the order. They check off what's in the box against the order, and the checkers, they're very experienced, and they noticed well, this lady, I didn't, didn't look like she knows what she's doing. And so order department called her, and, and she was very, very appreciative that they caught her mistake. Well, then somebody else then uh, posted a message on Slack to the, to the checking ladies, said, go, checking ladies. They caught the cash questionable quantity the lady above ordered and notified order department about it. When we all work together, we make happy customers. Good job mailing. But see that go checking ladies she put on there after they caught the mistake. That's encouraging. That's exhorting. Okay, the first chapter is cheer on your team. The second chapter is urge the other upward. Um, now, this is sort of one of those questions that's a little hard to know maybe what I'm driving at. But, okay, this building is a structure. What's another word for this building? I'm not thinking about meeting house, but just the name of a structure. Church. Yeah, church, but I'm just thinking about a structure in general. It's kind of a biblical word, sort of. Another word for a structure. A yeah. Edifice. edifice. There you go. Edifice. See? And how did it get to be an edifice? What does that mean? 
Well, I'll tell you in a minute. How did it get to be an edifice? It was built. Yeah, edifice is a building. Edifice edifies to build each other up. See, it's, a, it's the same root. Edifice, edifying. And so, and, and the Bible talks about the church as a building. But anyway, it's an edifice, and so we're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to edify. Okay? And so that's the second chapter, urge the other on. So how did this come into being? It was built, and so we build each other up. Okay, that's what I'm getting at. Um, Romans 15. Turn to Romans 15. First two verses. And actually, this is, this is just sort of a follow-up to all of chapter 14. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's powerful. You just don't do what you do because it's your preference or privilege or whatever. You think about what's going to help the other person the most and do it to please them. And it's talking about the weak brother, too, and, and, um, and the uh, strong brother. It was, I kind of got a different uh, thought on this when I was at Boyer Hill. Uh, James Mack family was, was there, and James Mack was, um, was uh, first-generation Anabaptist. But uh, they didn't think much of Christmas. They didn't think much of Christmas and so on, uh, observing that. And, and in Romans 14, it says the person that observes days is the weak brother. So uh, that kind of put me in my place. Um, The boy who loves his dog strokes his fur, gives him a bear hug, and teaches him tricks is doing something constructive and upbuilding. He is developing a friend. The boy who drops his cat from the upstairs window to see if she lands on her feet is being destructive. He is making an enemy. Believers are to be builders. They are to be constructive. In the Bible, this is called edifying one another. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. New American Standard says the building up of one another. So the key principle there is being a builder. And I was, um, so are, am I, are you, are we a builder or a wrecker? And I was trying to think of a natural, uh, a, 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 of a carpenter uh, illustration thing like, are you a crowbar or are you what? Crowbar is the wrecker. And I was trying to think of a positive one, and I was trying to think, well, I thought nail gun, but that doesn't seem to have the best connotation, shooting nails. And so I thought about a hammer. Well, that uses to knock things apart. And then when I was talking about this at Pike, I said, oh, a square. You always use a That's always positive. You never use a square to tear down. Tear down. But they thought that was kind of funny, too. And so uh, I mentioned this at at Brushy Run, and uh, I got some ideas after the sermon. Um, Willard Martin said, a tape measure. That would be uh, something used to build, never tear down. Somebody else said, a prop or a scaffold. So propping. So maybe you'll come up with a different one. But, you know, are we, are we a crowbar? Are we a, 
something something that's that's uh, building. He had something in here about his dog. See if I can find that. Um, when I was a boy on the farm, we had a dog named Fido. He and I were good friends, and I taught him to do various tricks. One of those was climbing a ladder. While the ladder was leaning against the hay mow in the barn, I would tell Fido to grattle enough. That is the Pennsylvania Dutch way of saying climb up. I would get him started up, then come along behind him. As he nervously climbed up one rung, I'd edify him on to the next one. Step by step, I urged Fido on until he reached the top and climbed onto the hay ahead of me. This is what God wants us to do for each other. Step by step, we are to edify one another upward by building them up and making them strong. And there's a verse or two to go along with that, too. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Now, putting the other person first, building others up, and I, I, was, I thought about a person in the Scripture who made a powerful statement about putting the other person first. And his life took such a traumatic turn of events that he wondered if the Lord had let him down. Now, who was I thinking about? Okay, he got, yeah, that's a good, uh, that would certainly fit. Yeah, I was thinking about somebody in the New Testament. Uh, he had made a statement about putting the other person first. Peter. Okay. John the Baptist? I, that John the Baptist is the one I was thinking about because, you see, he said early on when his disciples came and said, oh, hey, people are leaving you to follow Jesus. And he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And at that point, I'm pretty sure he didn't realize what that would cost him. And, but he meant it. He meant it. And that's, that's the attitude we should have. He must increase, but I must decrease. I'll tell you, if we all had that attitude, that'd solve a lot of church problems. He talks about knocking the props out, or, well... Yeah, that lady, at, uh, the, the sister at Brushy Run that said, that suggested the scaffolding, she suggested props. Um, he talked about an old silo that they filled. Well, this is back in the old days. I reckon, I don't know if it was a wooden silo or what. He was Amish part of the time growing up, Simon Schrock was. But he said one, they filled their silo on Saturday and on Sunday it started leaning. And so they did some quick propping up. It was given support. It was edified to stay up. And so, um, so when somebody's leaning on account of the pressure, 
Do we knock the props out? Or do we put some props up to help them? I uh, guess we better stop here. There's, the next chapter is on kindness, and that one's really important too, but I'm going to have to stop. Let's uh, look yet at Ephesians 4. Actually, we had looked at that chapter extensively, but just the first 16 verses. The last part of the chapter, uh, in verse 29, well, that's talking about speech. <clears throat> but it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And now here again, um, he uh, does that from the NIV. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And that is a quite a challenge. And I mentioned this before too, but I'll just mention it again. 1 Peter 4.10 As every man hath received a gift, and Romans 6 mentions edifying as one of the gifts, exhorting, even ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A good steward, being a good steward of what God has given us is blessing others, using it for their benefit. Last paragraph of this chapter on urging the others up. Think about this. What would your church be like if you would take edifying seriously? What would it be like if edifying caught on with the group? Wouldn't it be an unusual church? It's an exciting challenge. Make this biblical teaching your goal. Would this be an unusual church if we did that, or are we doing it? Are we already unusual? So there again, 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Let's kneel for prayer. <clears throat>